0: Chapter 6 of A Coin of Edward the Seventh. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Coin of Edward the Seventh by Fergus Hume. Chapter 6 The Case Against Anne. The contradictory qualities of Mrs. Perry's nature came out strongly in connection with the Rickwell tragedy. When Miss Denham was prosperous, the old woman had nothing but bad to say of her. Now that she was a fugitive and generally credited with a crime, Mrs. Perry stood up for her stoutly. She made herself acquainted with all details, and delivered her verdict to Mrs. Morley, on whom she called for the express purpose of giving her opinion. "'I never liked the woman,' she said impressively. "'She was artful and frivolous, and to gain admiration behaved in a brazen way of which I thoroughly disapproved.' "'All the same, I do not believe she killed the girl.' "'But the evidence is strongly against her,' expostulated Mrs. Morley. "'And how many people have been hanged on evidence which has afterwards been proved incorrect?' retorted Mrs. Perry. "'I don't care how certain they are of her guilt. "'In my opinion, she is an innocent woman. "'I am glad she has escaped.' "'I am not sorry myself,' sighed the other. "'I was fond of Anne, for she had many good points.' "'But Mr. Steele says—' "'Who is Mr. Steele?' "'The detective who has charge of the case. "'I thought the police from Chelmsford had it in hand. "'Of course, Mr. Morty sent for the police the morning after poor Daisy's death. "'That is three days ago. "'Tomorrow the inquest is to be held. "'I suppose they will bring a verdict against poor Miss Denham. "'Ha!' said Mrs. Perry, rubbing her nose. "'And my green grocer is on the jury.' Much he knows about the matter. "'But this steel creature, where does he come from?' "'Mr. Morley sent to London for him. "'He has a private inquiry office, I believe.' "'No such thing,' contradicted Mrs. Perry. "'He is from Scotland Yard. "'A genuine detective. "'None of your makeshifts.' "'I thought you knew nothing about him. "'Nor did I till this minute.' But I now remember seeing his name in connection with the theft of Lady Summerdale's diamonds. He caught the thief in a very clever way. Steele, Martin Steele, I remember now. So he has the case in hand. Humph. He won't accuse Anne Denham, you may be sure of that. He's too clever. But he is convinced of her guilt, said the other triumphantly. Then the man's a fool. I'll see him myself mrs parry did so the very next day after the inquest had been held and the verdict given she possessed a small neat cottage on the outskirts of rickwell standing some distance back from the high road seated at her drawing-room window she could see all those who came or went and thus kept a watch over the morals of the village this window was called mrs parry's eye and every one sneaked past it in constant dread of the terrible old lady who looked through it beyond mrs Perry's cottage were the houses of the gentry and the church therefore she knew that steel would pass her house on the way to the elms where he would doubtless go to report himself to morley to be sure morley was to be at the inquest but mrs parry took no account of that he and the detective would certainly return to the elms to compare notes also there was another chance steel might go on to see where at his place which was a mile beyond the village giles had caught a cold after his midnight ride in search for the missing motor and since then had been confined to his bed his deposition had been taken down in writing for the benefit of the jury as he could not be present himself since he was deeply interested in the matter Steele would probably go and tell him about the inquest mrs parry therefore posted herself at the window about twelve and waited for the detective at half-past twelve she saw him come along having on the previous day made herself acquainted with his personality he was a dapper pert little man neat in his dress and suave in his manners not at all like the detective of fiction as known to mrs parry there was no solemnity or hint of mystery about mr steel he would pass unnoticed in a crowd and no one would take him for a bloodhound of the law he did not even possess the indispensable eagle eye nor did he utter opinions with the air of an oracle in fact when mrs perry captured him and lured him into her parlour she was exceedingly disappointed with his appearance no one would even take you for a detective said she brusquely whereat steele laughed cheerily all the better for me ma'am folks speak more freely when they don't know my business but you will excuse me he added glancing at his watch i am in a hurry you say you know something about this matter It was on this pretense that Mrs. Perry had got him into her house, else he would not have wasted his time on her. She had therefore to make good her words, but had not the slightest chance of doing so. "'I know that Anne Denham is innocent,' was all she could say, but said it with the air of one who settles a difficult matter once and for all. "'On what grounds, ma'am?' "'On no grounds, save those of my own common sense.' "'You have no evidence to—' i have the evidence of my own eyes you haven't seen the woman i have she is not the kind of person who would act so the jury take a different view said steele dryly they have brought in a verdict of wilful murder against her fools but what can you expect from a parcel of tradesmen i wish to hear on what grounds they made such idiots of themselves steele was somewhat taken aback by this coolness you must really excuse me said he rising but i have to see mr ware all in good time Steele said the old lady coolly you might do worse than spend an hour with me there is precious little going on in this parish i don't know of i might be able to help you in your search after this woman Steele shook his head i don't think so i expect she has escaped to foreign parts oh i know all about that i made trim tell me you know trim of course he was a groom once isn't he a groom now well mrs perry rubbed her nose you might call him an engineer when ware started a motor car trim refused to let anyone else attend to his young master but himself he was the servant of old ware and thinks it is his duty to look after the sun not but what it's needed added mrs perry spitefully but trim learned how to work the car "'and so he is what you might call an engineer.' "'All very interesting, ma'am, but I have an appointment.' "'It will keep,' replied Mrs. Perry suavely. "'You had better wait, Steele. "'I have something to show you.' "'In connection with the case?' "'In connection with Miss Denham.' "'What is it? "'Show it to me.' "'All in good time, Steele. "'I must first know what you think of the matter.' "'I think that this woman is guilty.' oh you do do you humph and i thought you clever how easily one can be deceived however you can sit down and tell me your grounds for this preposterous belief Steele hesitated in all his career and it had been a varied one he had never met before with any one like this determined old dame she took possession of him in the calmest way and was evidently bent upon pumping him dry before he left the house as a rule Steele was not a man to be pumped but after some reflection he concluded that it was just as well to use a sprat to catch a mackerel in plain english he determined with reservations to gratify mrs perry's curiosity so that he might get a sight of what she had to show him if he were reticent she would show him nothing whereas if he told her all about the evidence at the inquest and that was public property she would certainly open her mind to him moreover steele knew the value of having a gossip like mrs parry to aid him in gaining knowledge of the neighbourhood finally he saw that she was a shrewd matter-of-fact old person and for the sake of making his work easy it would be as well to conciliate her he therefore sat down with a cheerful air and prepared himself for an interesting conversation i shall be perfectly candid with you said he taking out his notes these are the memoranda i made at the inquest humph you have a bad memory i see i said mrs Perry, with emphasis i carry all i know in my head go on Steele detailed the facts of the case he related the threat of anne against daisy overheard by mrs morley read out a copy of the anonymous letter emphasized the presence of anne in the library for the few minutes morley was absent when she would have had time to secure the stiletto, and explained how Morley had found the very weapon near the scene of the crime. Then he continued to relate what took place in church during the midnight service. "'Martha James,' said he, "'was sitting not far from Miss Kent. The corner was rather dark.' "'The whole church is badly lighted,' interrupted Mrs. Perry. "'I never could bear smelly kerosene lamps.' "'The corner was dark,' resumed Steele patiently and Martha, as she says, having a headache, was rather inattentive to the sermon. She saw a man near the door, a tall man, with a great coat and a white scarf. She couldn't see his face plainly. He slipped along the wall during the sermon, when the attention of everyone was fixed on the preacher, and, as Martha saw, slipped a scrap of paper into the hand of Miss Kent. She started, and bending towards a near lamp, read the paper. Did anyone else see her read it? No. She placed the paper in her prayer book and so contrived to read it without exciting suspicion. Martha saw the action because she was well placed for observation. And couldn't mind her own business. I know, Martha James. Go on. After a few minutes Miss Kent seemed to grow faint and slipped out of the church. Another witness, Samuel Gibbs, says that as she brushed past him she murmured that she felt unwell. However, she went out and the tall man also no he remained for another ten minutes martha james watched him because she could not think why he did not follow miss kent after giving her the paper of course martha thought of something bad sniffed mrs Perry. no doubt she believed that the two had arranged to meet so the tall man went out ten minutes afterwards what about anne she was a few pews behind and apparently inattentive but a small girl called Sissy Jinks. "'A most precocious child,' interpolated the lady. "'She is smart,' admitted Steele. "'Well, she declares that Miss Denham was watching the tall man all the time. "'Whether she saw him give the paper to Miss Kent, no one seems to know. "'I think myself she must have done so, if she was as watchful as Sissy Jinks declares. "'Moreover, she followed the tall man when he went out. "'Immediately?' five minutes afterwards ha then it was a quarter of an hour before she followed daisy hum didn't trim see them come out of the church the groom no he was at the lych with the car and the snow was falling fast besides the night was so dark that he could see nothing the first intimation he had of miss denham was when she came through the lych to tell him that his master was with miss kent on the way to the elms and wished to see him trim followed and left her in charge of the car when he was gone she went off leaving the body of the girl behind her the case is dead against her as you make it out it certainly is said mrs perry scathingly but what about the tall man what became of him he has vanished and no one seems to know anything about him ha said the old lady with satisfaction well i can enlighten you on that point he was the man who called to see mr morley and who left just before anne entered the library are you sure morley said nothing about that morley can hold his tongue when necessary said the old lady dryly yes that was the man the footman at the elms told me that mr morley's visitor wore a great coat and a white scarf the same dress murmured Steele. and the man was afterwards in church he passed a note and went out apparently to see miss kent i must question mr morley about him i wonder if he went away in the motor also of course he did replied mrs perry calmly anne was watching him according to sissy jinks and she followed him five minutes later it would seem that she knew him and after he killed daisy helped him to escape what do you say asked Steele, wrinkling his brows that this man killed miss kent the evidence is nearly as strong against him as against anne he was in the library also and might have obtained the stiletto it was he who lured daisy out of the church he was five minutes absent before anne followed quite long enough for him to kill the poor girl it sounds feasible i admit said the detective thoughtfully but even if this is true it incriminates miss anne She helped him to escape, according to your theory. She must, therefore, have known about the murder, and that makes her an accessory after the fact. In any case she should be arrested. But not hanged, insisted Missus Perry, I am sure she did not kill the girl. As for the man, she had a strong reason to get him out of the way, but that does not say she knew of the crime. I don't see what other reason she could have had, said Steele. I dare say you are right, and that this stranger did go with Miss Denham on the car. What a pity no one saw them. Did no one see the car? No, it was found overturned in a hedge near Tilbury. I know, said Mrs. Perry, not liking to have her omniscience questioned. Trim told me. He came on the car by chance. It was quite cold. The furnace was extinguished. It must have been abandoned for some time when he came across it i wonder where their pair went then you seem certain that the stranger was with miss denham yes i am quite satisfied on that point tilbury ha huh. they were making for tilbury did you inquire there steel nodded i could find no trace of them no one saw them or rather her for i asked only after miss denham it is my opinion that they must have got on board some ship and have escaped to foreign parts "'I could not learn of any ship having left that night, though.' "'Well, that is all the evidence, Mrs. Perry, "'and you can see for yourself that the case against Miss Denham is almost conclusive.' "'All the same, I believe she is innocent,' insisted the old lady. "'It was the man who committed the crime. Ask Morley about him.' "'Do you think he knows anything?' "'Not of the murder, but he must know the man's name.' and now as you have been so frank with me i'll show you what i promised do you remember the anonymous letter and the reference to the scarlet cross yes miss denham said that her father who is now dead wore a red enameled cross on his watch-chain i know mrs morley told me so now see here mrs perry opened her left hand which for some time she had kept clenched in her palm lay a small gold cross enameled red where did you get that asked Steele, astounded mrs bates the pew-opener found it in the church and brought it to me it was found near the spot where the stranger stood what steel started to his feet ah you are beginning to see now said the old lady yes Steele, you may well look Anne is innocent on the evidence of this cross i believe that her father is not dead he was the stranger He killed Daisy, and because he was her father Anne aided him to escape! End of chapter six read by Celine Major.